It's great to see everyone tonight. I always like to scoot this up. It's going to be a little closer to Caleb, that's why. If you've uh, joined us this first time this week, we, we are in the middle of a series on the character of God, and we're going through systematically who God is as he defines himself. And the premise is that we have learned about God from all sorts of different people because we learn bits and pieces as we go, and we build our own personal theology. But yet in that journey, sometimes things that sound like they're true but really aren't true begin to get into our belief system and begin to shape our relationship with God. And a lie that goes unchallenged becomes truth. And what I found for me, and I don't know about you, but many of the things that I was raised to believe from well-intended people, even things I was taught in college, from mentors and different people like and overhearing other people's relationship with God, there are many things that I discovered were not only not true, but they were damaging my relationship with the Lord. And so I would only ever question, who is God in circumstances where there's great challenge and there's great crisis? And having a crisis is a really terrible time to start asking questions about who is God? You know, because the situation will always be colored to your crisis. And we build crazy theologies. So if life is boring for you right now, this is a perfect time to start to wonder, who is God? Because you don't want to think about who is God in the middle of the crisis. You actually want to think with a clear mind. You want to reconsider the things that you've believed. And so the, the goal of this series is to have us walk through systematically the character of God and to align ourselves to truth. There's an author by the name of Darren Hufford who was incredibly instrumental for me coming to many of these realizations, and he's got a couple books out there, and so I just encourage you guys, if you guys like this, he's written more on these things, but I'm sharing from his revelation, but also my story. So tonight we're talking about the character of God, and we've been going through uh, the scripture series, and God defines himself in the simplest, but also the most, the deepest way by calling himself, I am love. Who is God? He says, God is love. And so God in the simplest but yet the deepest way defines himself. It's so amazingly concise, but also the scriptures then reveal for us how to define love. And so if we want to know the character of God, we need not go any further than actually identifying what love is. And the definition of love, it's in the most quoted passage possibly in all the Bible besides John 3.16. You've heard it at every single wedding, most likely. It's love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth that always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And we can know everything about God's character and nature by replacing the word love with the word God. Last week was God does not boast, and it is not proud. And this week is God is not rude. I was tempted to do two tonight, but this is so good that I had to stick with one. This night and next week are like my two favorite ones. So don't miss these next, well, of course, you're not going to miss tonight. So that's a dumb thing to say. But tonight is God is not rude. Do we really believe that? God is not rude. Now, this seems like pretty self-explanatory identification for God, it kind of goes along with that God is kind, love is kind. But meanness and rudeness are two completely different things. 
the challenge is that our society actually is really entertained by personalities that are rude. We like people who tell it like it is, you know. We, like the reason that American Idol became such a radical sensation is you had the rudest guy on the planet sit in the front seat that always had the microphone. Hell's Kitchen, this is awful. You know, like, we are drawn to that. The, I won't get into politics, but there's a personality. We, we are entertained. We are drawn to people who are rude. Because we like people who don't take crap from anyone. Right? That feels like something we align ourselves with. And we also enjoy jerks who get what they deserve, don't we? Like, yeah, get them, God. Like, have you ever heard someone say that? I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? He got a flat tire, man. Let him go, you know? But we, like, we want the, the person that has had maybe a little shady things, like, you know, that are underneath the surface. And when it gets exposed, you're like, little golf clap. Yes, Jesus. You know, expose that sin, you know? I'm not blaming you guys. I'm talking from my own self. I have a software business, and we have a competitor, and they're driving me nuts, and so I've, I'm like, I'm looking for any dirt, you know, to find, you know? But it's innate in our personality that we want the jerk to get what they deserve. We want to see God bring swift justice that embarrasses them. But we even do that to ourselves. Like, these testimonies are awesome. I love these testimonies because they're about life. But you know there's other people who give testimonies that are really about death? And they want to, like, take all this time about how, like, God gave them some terrible affliction in order to bring them back to him. You're like, this isn't making the point you think you're making, you know? It's like he, like, I won't get into specifics, but we've all been there where, where people will give this really, really terrible, sad story that God brought upon them to bring them to their knees. And we're like, yeah, that sounds religious, that sounds just like the king of all creation who loves me. It's like, God, don't love me like that. <laughs> like, don't love me the way you're loving them because I, I can do better than that. But that sounds like a rude God. But a lot of us, we kind of like a rude God. We're comfortable with a my way or the highway approach that gets in our face, that takes a hard stance. Now, I'm like the biggest advocate that, that there's black and white in the scriptures. I'm a big fan that you either are committed and you are like about Jesus or you're not. Like I'm all about that. But there's some people who want God's rude response in their ear all the time because they think it helps motivate them to religious obedience. It's kind of like having a, a trainer. <clears throat> Warning, I do not work out, so I have no business talking about this. But a personal trainer who's like in your face like, come on, five more reps, you can do that, you know? And we want God sometimes like that in our life to like get in our face. Now imagine God's like that. How would you like to spend eternity with your gym trainer? It's not going to work out very well. You have nothing else to talk about. You're like paranoid, like, I'm just having a salad, man, just a salad. But some of us, we have liked the rude aspects of this persona that God's created. And what happens is that when someone is rude to us, they take on a rude identity. It's not like we associate this powerful gym trainer or Simon Cowell as anybody else but rude. They become a rude person. 
their persona, their identity becomes about being rude. And we can't even expect them to have love and, and kindness against it because it's, it's who they are. I mean, it's like we would all imagine like Simon Cowell who's got like, you know, young children. Like they, they bring like a picture and he's like, this is the worst picture I've ever seen, you know. <laughs> we would kind of expect that from him. We wouldn't expect him to be like, oh, this is the most beautiful thing ever. It's out of character, not of place. And if God is rude to you in one area, he is rude to you in every area. We don't accept some person who's rude one time and let them have a pass. I know someone, they had an encounter, and my friend thought the other guy was being rude, and it's like, I don't want anything to do with that guy. They instantly make a split decision. You were rude to me once, and you're always a rude person. I don't like you. And so if God is rude to you in one area, he's rude to you in every area. And the result is that many of us have adopted a rude God in our heart. But a rude God is a total misrepresentation of who he is. And let's look at a few reasons for that. The first is that God is not rude because his tone, his tone is always love. God is not rude because his tone is always love. I don't know about you, but when I thought about the face of Jesus. I'm a very visual person, so I read the scriptures, reading things, and, and like I always imagine Jesus like a very solemn face, kind of reserved, always kind of subtly frustrated, like, how many times do I have to tell you? The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. You know, like you, you have this kind of image of what is Jesus' persona, that he's quiet, subdued, Always breathing deeply and sighing. (laughs) Barely giving answers. Only saying the minimum that's required, right? Playing riddles with his answers because I can't be bothered by giving the full explanation. I don't know about you, but that that was the tone, the persona that I had when I considered Jesus. It was kind of condescending. It was coded in a you know, a a superior, I mean, he's God, he has a right to feel superior, but I always felt like the persona that Jesus had was a little bit rough, a little bit hard to love. But you know what, that is completely untrue. You know why? It's because children ran to him. It's completely untrue. And I have two young kids. They're pretty picky about who they're going to run to. If you look like little bitter bits and you're like, not happy, and you got a little scowl, or you like are sh- little kids do not run to scary looking people. They don't. Little kids, they, they run to someone who's got a smile on their face, who wants to be with them, who's excited to be with them, maybe like talks in a higher pitch, you know, any of those things. And so we look at the scriptures and we see that children ran to Jesus, and people are so annoyed because all these children running to Jesus, that should tell us something about the image that we have about God, and does it match with your own little children, if you have them, or nieces and nephews running to him? Because the Jesus I knew and loved, loved and thought, I knew, there's no way that my kids this day and age would run to that thing. They'd be like, I know likey. That's what Mav says. He can't say, I don't like it. He's like, I know likey, you know. And that's how it'd be. Kids are like brutally ruthless and honest with their opinions. But it got me thinking. 
What kind of tone does God have in your heart? What kind of tone is the voice of God in your life? Does it sound like a boss? Does it sound like a manager? Does it sound like a gym coach? Does it sound like your own father? Does it sound someone who's annoyed by you? Let me ask you this. Have you ever been in a heated discussion and then someone re-quoted something you said but did it in the exact wrong tone? You said, I don't care anymore. I'm like, I didn't say it like that. I said, I don't care anymore. Like, I'm just, I'm okay. Like, I, have a, I'm, I didn't say it like that. I didn't say, I don't care. I said, I, I, I don't care. I said it like that. And you completely misinterpreted me. It's a very violating thing to have someone use your words in a tone that you didn't give. And this is how God feels all the time. We're repeating things that God says, but we're doing it with the exact wrong tone. How many know that the correct words with the wrong tone is actually the wrong message? The correct words with the wrong tone is actually the wrong message. The wrong tone creates a wrong meaning all the time. It's the difference between Scarlet, get your little butt over here, and Scarlet, get your butt over here. Like it's, right? Same exact words, radically different meanings. And just for the record, I don't say butt with her. <laughs> meant to say behind. And pets are especially perceptive to this. The pets only care about the tone. You can be speaking curses to your dog. And as long as it's in the right tone, they're just wagging their tail. I wish you'd roll over and fall dead. I wish you were dead. And they're just like, They only care about the tone. And this is the exact reason that we have emojis, right? Emojis is like our protection to make sure people know we have the right tone. LOL, smiley joy face with tears. I don't think I can make it in today. Smiley face, tears. Like, we do these things so that people get the tone that we want. I was texting with Eric last week or two weeks ago, and I could tell, like, shoot, like, my words are like, I'm missing the tone. I had to, like, text him, I was like, I have a happy face on. It's like, I promise you I'm in a good mood. <laughs> but sometimes our words, the correct words with the wrong tone, give it a radically different meaning. So we make sure that whenever we talk, we make sure that people understand our tone so they get what we mean and what we're trying to say. It's unfortunate that the Bible doesn't have emojis because that would be really helpful for us too. But God's tone really, really matters. Someone can steal that idea and make a million dollars off of a Bible with emojis. Go for it. Tone matters. Here's the thing for me. Here, here's like the, the number one thing. This is why this message for me is one of my favorites. Is I had 25 years plus of having God have the wrong tone. And it never was questioned. I never sat in a chair like this and like thought, do I have the wrong tone? Am I repeating somebody else's words in the radically different tone that gives it a totally different meaning? And I realized all these things that was like reading God's word, but I was reading it through the wrong tone. And you can read the scriptures 
And if you think that God is mean and judgmental, you're going to read every single word of the scriptures and hear meanness, and you're going to hear him being rude, and you're going to hear judgment in every single word. Even God loves you. You're like, well, not really, you know. God's tone matters in what you believe in your heart for what he's saying and how he's saying it. You will project whatever tone you hear God to, to have on everything in your relationship with him. Your prayer life, hearing God's voice, reading the scriptures, meditating, and all this stuff. You will project whatever tone you believe God has with you upon every single aspect of your walk. And a lot of us, we gave God a rude personality, and so every time we read, we feel judgment. We feel he's rude. No wonder we don't want to read the scriptures. Today, I think one of the many things that grieves God's heart is that we've taken his love letter to us and stamped a judgment tone upon it. That we read all of his love letter, like the, the scriptures are this amazing story of his love for us, and we have coded in this rude form of judgment and a tone that is not consistent with him. It's injustice to, to God when we take the words from his, from his word and disregard the tone that he meant it to have. And you'll read the Bible according to exactly whatever tone you're hearing. This is exactly why the Bible says, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. Truth ceases to be truth if it's spoken in any other tone but love. Let me say that one more time. Truth ceases to be truth if it is spoken in any other tone than love. Words speak to the head, but tone speaks to the heart. In Bible times, this is kind of fun, you had messengers, right, for kings? It wasn't like, here's a letter. The messengers, this is really interesting, if a king wanted to send another king a message, his messenger was not just, you're really good at riding a horse and you can deliver a message. It's that you are an incredible actor. That I'm going to dictate for you what I think about that of the king. And your job is to go to the other king and recreate my exact experience, my words, to that king. So if the king is angry, banging his fist and like exerting rage, the messenger would perfectly go and recreate in perfect reaction, tone, words, everything that to the other king. That's how people send messages because tone matters. And if you're reading the correct words in the Bible but with the wrong tone, the Bible is actually the wrong message for you. I'll regularly tell people when they have dysfunctional paradigms with God, I said, don't read the scriptures because you're making it worse. Every single time you read the word under that tone, you are just adding more daggers into your heart of why you can't trust God. God is not rude. We just need to adjust. The second reason that God is not rude is because he sees you as complete. He sees you as complete. There's an interesting meaning behind the word rude that unlocks other significant uh, takeaways for us. To be rude implies something about the heart of God for us. It has a meaning beyond what we typically understand. And it's this is that rude is being in a crude, rough, unfinished way, roughness, unpolished, unrefined course. You see the commonality? Unfinished and incomplete. It's used in terms of like a piece of wood that has splinters. That if it's not sanded can give you splinters that bleed. 
So God does not see you as unfinished. Jesus' final words on the cross were, it's finished, not this is a good start. <laughs> He's like, he hung on the cross and said, it is finished. Colossians 2.10 says that you have been made complete. If God has your heart, he is totally satisfied and can work with the rest of your life. See, the flesh is dying, but the heart is eternal. God is completely after your heart. You might have completely botched the flesh aspect of your life. And as long as God has your heart, he's like, I got what I want. That's completeness for me. One of the things that if you want to bring someone to tears in prayer, this is a little secret tip, not to try to manipulate people, but I've had one statement that has gotten a reaction out of more people when I prayed it over them, is that God is pleased with you, and he's satisfied with you, and just the waterworks turn on. And it's this universal statement. You can go to anybody and say, like, God, God loves you. He has your heart. He's pleased with you. I don't care what you did yesterday. He is pleased and satisfied with you. My kids, four and two, I'm satisfied with them. Sure, I want them to grow. I want them to mature. I want them to do all these different things. But you know what? It does not mean I'm not satisfied with them. I'm like, oh, man, if only you were, like, just six months older. If only you could, like, write S's in the right direction. I would love you so much more. Like, no, like, I'm completely satisfied with my kids. And so God will not treat you as being unfinished and complete. But Christians say the funniest things about their relationship with God. One, there's so much, like, do you know people have got, like, lots of drama in their relationship with God? It's like, this feels way too complex. <laughs> you guys need to go to counseling or something. Like, but something that I hear, like, in the college days was that God is sending me into the wilderness. Do you know any Christian who's been sent into the wilderness by God? They're like, wow, interesting. So does that mean, like, you're getting the silent treatment from God? Like, what does that mean? You're being sent into the wilderness. Well, um, uh, you know, he needs to send me into the wilderness to teach me. Okay, well, do you realize that the Holy Spirit came in, in, in John 14, 26, that the Holy Spirit will teach you all things? Well, I, I need to go, like, okay, I got the Holy Spirit, he'll teach me, but I need understanding. And so I'm in the wilderness to get understanding. Well, you know that 2 Timothy 2, 7 says, the Lord will give you understanding in everything? Like, I'll save you the gas money. I'll save you the extra, the, the road trip you're going to take in your journey to go into the wilderness. And, and so it, it completely goes against New Testament basic theology. If you are in the New Testament, you are in the promised land. You're not in the wilderness. If you're in the New Covenant, the New Testament church, if you're a Christian, you are in the promised land. Jesus went on a cross so you would not go into the wilderness. Now remember Israel, they got the promised land in a day, but it took them many years to take possession of it all. But they were given to it in a single day. The only wilderness that your life has is the wilderness that you choose to live in. You can be in the wilderness, but don't say that God sent you there. You buy yourself a one-way ticket. And sure, God can do great things, for you, like he's never going to say, oh, well, you've, you're taking the long road. I'm not going to help you on the long road. I'm just saying that sometimes we as Christians, we artificially complicate what God has already made complete in us. We need to understand that God doesn't see you as you see you. 
So we're like, oh, it's Thursday. You know, it's in April 2016. Like, and, and God only sees me on this day. Like, he only, he knows nothing more, right? We need to know that God sees us as we are in the heavenly realms. Ephesians says that we are seated with him in heavenly realms. If you are spending eternity with Christ, like, you're actually already with him in the heavenly realms. I know, crazy, right? So you are complete in the heavenly realms. And so when God addresses you, he addresses you on earth as you are in heaven. You guys tracking? When God speaks to us here on earth, we engage at the point of reality in our time, but God addresses us according to who we already are in the heavenly realms. That's why prophecy is so powerful, is it's actually taking a glimpse of who you already are in the kingdom of heaven and saying, this is who you are, this is where you're going to go. It's just simply telling you what you already have. And because of that, you are the finished product, and God doesn't look at you as like, oh, man, I just wish you'd get it together. Now, you might say, wait, I'm, I'm still growing, and I'm not complete, but as far as God is concerned, you are complete. It just might be, as the Israelites, you're just in the process of possessing it all, and that's fine, but that doesn't mean that you're not complete. Let me give it to you this way. An artist has the completed work in his mind before he begins painting. When God, as an artist, has a blank canvas, he has the masterpiece in his mind. Any great artist, like as they start painting, they're like, I'm totally surprised by this creation. When Michelangelo etched out and chiseled out the magnificent piece, the David, right? Do you think he was like surprised? Like, I had no idea it would turn out this way. But he saw this gigantic slab of marble, and he saw the masterpiece that was in there. And until every single piece of marble is chipped away, the masterpiece is, is, is I'm sorry, as he is chipping away the marble. The masterpiece is already complete in his mind. Should there's still some marble on the stone. And so to God, he sees you complete as you are in the heavenly realms. The third is that God is not rude because God covers you. God is not rude because he covers you. God's heart is to cover you as you grow. Now, you might be taking possession of all the things you already are in heaven, and that's fine, but God's heart is to cover you while it happens. Are there areas that you still struggle in? Is there areas that you still have sin? Sure, and God knows this. But some people believe that God will expose you as the kind of stick in the carrot and stick equation of motivating you. You better not sin because God's going to expose it. He's going to bring it out. That's not God's heart. That's rude. God does not expose you for the purpose of bringing you to him. I'm not saying that your sin won't be found out. Trust me. Trust me. I'm not suggesting that no one will ever know your sin because sin has a, na a nasty habit of exposing itself. Here's what I learned is that sin is never fully satisfied until it produces shame. Sin is never fully satisfied until it produces shame. Shame is the final stage of sin. It's really not complete until it, it has its reward. And so God will never partner with Satan and sin in bringing, shim, in bringing shame upon you. There we go. Let's go back to the artist analogy. I'm a designer. I do product design for our software. As I'm like working on an idea, 
I have it all up here. But you know, I don't want to show people too early. Because you know what they'll do? Like, oh, like, have you, have you thought about that button color? Have you, like, maybe, you, like, that font can be over there? Like, have you thought about, like, maybe, like, yes, I get it, I get it. Like, you don't, like, leave me alone. Like, I got it up here. I'm just working it out. And to be an artist, you know what they do as they're, like, working on things? If it's, like, years to do, you know what they do with their, with their art piece? Put a curtain over it. That's what they do. The masterpiece is in here. As it has the canvas and as the ink's going on, they cover it. Why? It's because other people don't see the masterpiece that they see. And they don't want their critiques. They don't want their input. The most annoying thing in the world is for someone to look at your creative piece and begin to critique it before it's as you see it in your heart. 1 Peter 4.8 says this, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of what? Sins. God is love and love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers sin. It doesn't expose it. Now, there's one verse, one verse that most people look to and say, God exposes sin. Can I redeem it for you? It's a little sidetrack, but I feel it's worth it. Because I know someone out there is like, wait a minute, what about this passage? It's 1 Corinthians 14, 24 and 25. It says, but if all prophecy, if all prophesy, excuse me, and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. People have been using this verse to try and say that God exposes sin. And they try and use prophetic gifting. They think that the part of the prophetic gifting is to expose people. Now, it's kind of like if, if um, imagine like you're praying for a guy and like, you know, you're praying for him and you're like, the Lord is telling me that your past has had an issue with lust. I see a picture of a computer. And uh, have you ever struggled with the internet? And it's like, that had about a 90% chance of being accurate. Like, that revelation is probably no profound than saying, like, a basketball player's feet stinks after a game. It's really not that great. And, and so what we find is that people sometimes struggle in the prophetic because they're trying to use the prophetic for something God does not want it to be used for. They're trying to use it in a way that brings shame and exposes someone with sin. And as God's like, I'm not using it like... Think about this. God says, I remember your sin no more, right? All through the Bible. But yet we have a prophetic gifting that does? That doesn't make sense. Maybe some people can't access the prophetic because they're hung up in trying to discover sin rather than declare someone's future and their destiny and who they are. But when you do that, when you use the prophetic, I'm not saying that people are not capable of actually tapping into a spirit and exposing sin. I'm just saying it's not the right spirit. 1 John 4, 1, test the spirits. Newsflash, there's more than one spirit out there. So you better test and approve what they are. I'm not saying that someone can't have revelation of your secret sin. I'm just saying it's not from the right kingdom is all. But when you access the wrong kingdom and you put the stamp of God on this exposing of your sin, you do something very profound as you show them that God is rude by exposing their worst sin to all people publicly. And now in their heart, they have a God who exposes them. I don't think this is what this passage means. 
I don't think it's what it means at all. Why? It's because in the same exact chapter, just 20 verses earlier, Paul says this, says, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Paul, before making that statement about the secrets of a man's heart revealed, says that prophecy is for strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. I don't know about you, but exposing sin before a whole bunch of people in a public setting doesn't sound like strengthening, encouraging, and comforting to me. Does that sound like good ministry to you? Would you want that? The secrets of your heart doesn't need to be sin. I think this passage means that you see in the future, in the heavenly realms that God sees for them. Psalm 37.4, that God gives you the desires of your heart. Okay? This prophetic passage that the secrets of man's heart will be revealed. Okay? God gives you the desires of your heart. Prophecy in this sense, I believe, is reaching to someone's kingdom future and bringing forth what God planted in his heart about them. Let me give this scenario this way. If an unbeliever comes among you and you all are prophesying and you declare that you once used to desire to be a musician but your father crushed your spirit, now you've done something, haven't you? You've foretold their future. You've laid forth the dreams of their heart. You've laid forth what they have desired to become that only they know and now they fall down because they know that God is true and real. Not, hey, you have the secret sin. That's not how it goes. You bring forth the secret hopes and dreams of a person, not their worst public fears laid bare before all. One of the entire reasons that I'm actually here right now is, gosh, was it maybe now 10 years ago, walked into Capital Christian Center after hearing on the radio, sat in the pew, was getting ready to go. Eric Waterbury walked up, and he's kind of like... Not an average-looking guy. We'll just say it that way. So when he, like, walks up, hey, my name's Eric Waterbury. You, get, you guys can all hear it, right? <laughs> and uh, you have a great anointing on your life for kingdom ministry. I'm like, what just happened? Just straight as an arrow, just walked up. I don't know you, but this is what God laid in my heart. Now, what he didn't know is that I actually turned off the ministry gear in my gearbox. Because I thought, like, I had, I loved God. It's like, I want to, you know, like, love God, but I thought if you really love God, you become a missionary. And so, like, I, I have a passion for business, I have a passion for ministry, and I chose business. I let the people who are paid to do this stuff do it. And so I completely turned off the dream for doing ministry because I said, oh, it's an either or and I'm, I'm choosing startups and technology and entrepreneurship. And he's like, you have an anointing in your life for ministry in the kingdom. Revealing the secrets of my heart. That's why I'm here. Consider when I want to bring attention to my son or daughter. Let's say I want to bring attention to my daughter. Do I like bring her out in front of you and like, she wet the bed four weeks ago. Now don't do it again. It's terrible, right? Now, that has a bigger reaction to you right there than me saying that God doesn't expose your sin. You're like, eh, whatever. But when I put it in the context of my own daughter, all of a sudden he goes, like, oh, you're such a jerk. Don't say that. I would never do that. Why? Because God's not rude. That's not his heart. But we will instantly say that he does that to us. But the moment I give you scenario for my four little girl, you want to like throw knives at me. No one would ever do that. But we tolerate this. When I bring my daughter out, I was like, why don't you sing 
itsy bitsy spider in Spanish because it's so cute. She's so good at it. I, I bring her, I expose her to illuminate her, not to bring her shame. From the beginning of time, God has been in the business of covering your sin, not exposing it. You guys okay? Can I do one more? God is not rude because God is in covenant forever with you. Why isn't God rude? Because he's in covenant with you forever. There's a rudeness that we identify with God because we associate rudeness with another meaning, which is temporary. We talked about this with God as patient, but the fact that God is in covenant with you forever changes everything about how he engages with you. You are impatient in the places that you are not committed. You are impatient in the places that you are not committed. Think about the places that you are the most impatient. It's probably the place you have the least commitment. Think about the circumstances that you are the most rude. It's probably the places you're least committed. You're like, I'm not rude ever. Driving on the 50 freeway is like spiritual warfare for me at like 5 o'clock. Like, dude! I'm like, I'm just hoping it's not one of you guys. <laughs> Always look for the Epic Life sticker before I like, give them the stare. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> or the fast food clerk, right? Someone you're never going to see again. How about hotel rooms? You're like, I've never gone here before or again. Like, you, like you, you take the things that are temporary and you're rude with them. Why? Because you have no commitment to them. I bought a brand new dirt bike like seven years ago because I sold my dirt bike to pay for a honeymoon. So the agreement was that when we could like stabilize ourselves, like I could go to the, the showroom floor and like pick one out. And I cleaned that thing with like toothpicks and Q-tips. And I'm like, like I walk in the garage, I'm like, is there a little scuff there? Like I take care of it, okay? Contrast that to when I rent a car. It's like, that's a little bit of soda there. Oh, well. This smells in here. I'm just going to, like, leave that there. They'll never find that French fry in the seat anyways. We are rude into the realms in which we have no commitment. Where you lack commitment, you'll find rudeness. That's why you can find a relationship that's really committed to each other because they won't be rude. The strongest marriages that I know, like my folks, for example, they're the kindest people to each other. They're never rude, ever. Why? It's because like, they're in this for the long haul. And then you find a relationship, and they're like always rude to each other, and you're like, there's something about it. I don't know if this relationship can last. Like, we can't put our finger on it, but it's rudeness. If you're not eternally committed, you give yourself an excuse and permission to be rude. But the best relationships understand they're in it forever. Like, I can't be rude to you because I'm stuck with you for a long time in the best way. I want to honor my wife every day. Why? Because I'm committed to her. I gain nothing if I'm rude to her. I gain nothing. I honor our commitment by 
being loving to her because our relationship is forever. And God's the same way. He's not going to be rude with you. Rudeness is a product of being impatient with you because he's not committed to you. But God is committed to you. He says, never will I forsake you nor I leave you. Nothing will snatch you out of my hands. Like, it's eternity. He, he loses if he's rude to you because he's with you forever, ever, forever, ever, ever, ever. Let me end with this. The big sledgehammer to my face in this topic was what is the tone that I hear God using with me? Ask yourself, what does God's voice sound like? What does God's voice sound like? Is it short? Is it impatient? Does it remind you of somebody? That was like the big things like I could actually say like the persona that I hear God from, I actually can name specific people that have influenced that tone. And ask yourself, is that something from somebody else or is that from God? Does it sound like your boss? Does it sound like somebody else? Maybe this is why so many Christians are hiding these days. They get saved and they never develop a relationship with God. Why? It's because they have this, they have loving words that are coded in an angry tone. And they've memorized the words in the scripture, but they've also memorized the tone in their heart. If the tone you hear in your heart is not filled with adoration, gentleness, and love, it's the wrong tone and you are worshiping a rude God. The tone you hear from God matters. Make sure it's correct. It's worth repeating that God's in a good mood. That was one thing I had to remember. Like, he's in heaven. There's no bad days in heaven, okay? He's not like, oh, like it was such a tough day. I'm just like a little bit short today. Like we all have those days where maybe like we're a little bit feisty. He's in heaven. Every day is a good day. He's always in a good mood. He sees you as you are. His tone, he's got a smiley face. If he can talk to you, he's adding all the right emojis to it all. How are you doing with God? Examine your relationship. Like how would you assess how you are doing in your relationship with God? Is it cold and stale? Is it removed from relationship? Perhaps you have a rude God in your heart. Because no one wants to share and be intimate with someone who's rude. No one wants to engage with someone who's not gentle with their heart, who's going to kick it back in their face and say, well, that's a dumb thing to be worried about. No one gives their heart to someone like that. You would never give your heart to your trainer. But many of us are worshiping a God who looks more like some guy CrossFit than the king who went and hung on a cross that you would have life. I'm about to go off the rails, so I'm going to end it with this. When God's eternally committed to you, he's deeply concerned that his words are heard in the right tone. He's concerned that you know that he's not going to expose you. He's concerned that you are not going to feel like he is impatient with you and going to reject you. That's not him at all. We're going to ask ourselves, what is the tone we hear in our hearts that's originating, that's instructing us? And if it's not gentleness, if it's not filled with adoration, if it's not filled with love, then we're hearing from a different source. God is not rude. I love you guys.